Mobocracy. Mobocracy, democracy. Are they the same? Hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here. Yesterday in the broadcast, we talked about social justice. Man's social justice versus God's social justice. And just as a summary, man's social justice is this. We will use the government as the best tool and the most effective means to bring about social justice and social equity. And how will we, the government, do that? We'll do it through progressive taxation. We'll do it through property, uh, through redistribution of wealth and uh, property acquisition. And we'll take that money and we'll give it to programs that help the less fortunate. So we'll take from the more fortunate in terms of income and give to the less fortunate in terms of lack of income. That's the way social justice and social inequity is enacted through the governments. But God's version of social justice is totally different, as we talked about yesterday. And we're going to talk about democracy in just a moment, and we'll talk about Joe Biden running for president, too. But uh, again, but let me go to a wonderful piece of scripture here. This is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. I was reading... I'm reading the book of Isaiah just began. The way I read the Bible uh, at times is perhaps different than the way you read the Bible at times, but I, I like to, sometimes I'll take out a commentary and read what uh, you know conservative commentators have to say about the word because these guys are brilliant and so learned and so studied. And sometimes I like to go back to commentaries involving people like Matthew Henry from you know the 1600s. But in this particular case, I'm just reading Isaiah and then contemplating. Reading, stopping, contemplating, meditating, and asking the Holy Spirit to give me insight. That's the way I'm doing Isaiah right now. Because if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, you have the Holy Spirit in you. you. You have that opportunity to say, God, what are you saying here? What is this supposed to mean to me, to us? Okay, so hopefully I haven't lost you. Stay with me here, because I want to talk more about real, authentic social justice, and I want to talk about democracy, which is often mobocracy. And that was something our founders, the founders of this nation, feared democracy. But stay with me. Here's what Isaiah says. Chapter 1, verse 16. Wash yourselves. This is Isaiah speaking to the nation of Israel. And, and I believe, speaking to all future generations, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. This is, this is the words of the Lord through Isaiah. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds from my sight, stop doing evil. This is social justice. Learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, obtain justice for the orphan, plead for the widow's case. So again, the Lord is saying through Isaiah, friends, get rid of your sin. Wash yourself. Well, how do you do that? We know later you'd be able to wash yourself through the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus, and be baptized and repent of your sins and be filled with His Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Just 
Get rid of all the evil crap in your life. Stop it. Stop doing evil is the next verse. Learn to do good. That's, that's social justice. Social justice is birthed from a human being's heart. We want to do good. And then it says, seek justice. Boom. Social justice. Rebuke the oppressor. You know, the people that are doing wrong, get in their face. Say, hey, you know what? You need to stop that. How do I stop it? I don't know how. You need to come to know the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit. Obtain justice for the orphan. The orphans are the least of these. That's why so many of you uh, have done this. So many of you would like to do this. Somebody, so many of you don't think you can do this, but you really can. And that's become a foster parent or, or adopt a child. I speak from experience. And then plead for the widow's case. This is social justice defined, first chapter of Isaiah. And, and then, then in the very next verse, the Lord says through Isaiah, come now and let's debate your case, says the Lord. So come now, let's, let's talk about your heart, God is saying. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. How? Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. How? If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. What? But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah right there is talking about the coming salvation that will be available to all people through Jesus' death on the cross, through his resurrection. And then at the very end, if you refuse and rebel, I know this doesn't fly well with universalists and hyper-grace people, but there is a coming day of judgment. There really is. That's social justice in the eyes of God. That is it. And that, that's why I have such a heart for this nation right now. We have strayed so far from our moral underpinnings of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is the pursuit of owning property. Those are, those are natural rights given to all of us by God. That's according to the philosophy of John Locke, which our founders used in crafting our Bill of Rights. We have strayed so far from the underpinnings. That's why the founders of the United States of America said, many of them said, this type of democracy, this type of government can only work with underpinnings of morality and virtue and religion. Without that, we're in trouble. And friends, I think we've arrived to the point where we're in trouble. That's why I'm praying for this nation that there will be an outpouring of God's Spirit and there will be a revival. You know, nations have come and gone in a day. And you could see how we could see calamity in a day in this country. If there was, if there was a run on the banks, if there was an EMP power outage, I mean, so many things could bring America to its knees. A major earthquake. Who knows what? That's why I'm praying for America. I'm not giving up on this country. I am praying for America. Now, let's talk for a moment, if we could, about Joe Biden running for president. Let me find the article that I wanted to uh, use as content here. So Joe Biden, already oldest president in history, he's 80. He'd be 86 by the end of a potential second term in the White House. 
Uh, Joe Biden does not, he, he appears to be on the decline. I know we could make all the jokes about, oh, bumbling Joe, and he's got dementia, and he's got the, I don't know what he has. But he is, he is declining, okay? He is clearly declining for him to continue with another run. I just have a hard time believing that this is going to happen. I really thought Gavin Newsom would be the guy that they would bring forward as his heir apparent, but obviously he's, he's in it to win it once again. But here's what Joe Biden said, of course, when he announced his, his running. It was a campaign launch video. And it features issues like abortion, talk about injustice, and LGBTQ, and the battle for the soul of America. And he talked about MAGA extremists like uh, Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene and Governor Ron DeSantis. It's, it's really interesting, but he also said this, every generation has a moment to stand where they have had, every generation has a moment where they have had to stand up for democracy. I believe this is ours. F- friends, democracy is, is not a great word. It really isn't. The founders of this nation feared democracy because democracy historically becomes mob rule. That's why in the United States of America, we have a a representative republic. The only office that we all vote for in democratic style is the president. After that, we vote in a represented type way so that there are significant checks and balances to keep us from having a dictator. Let me provide you with a little history really quick. Let's go to the ancient Athenians. They basically invented democracy. And they were also the first critics of democracy, obviously. So if you read Plato, Plato feared mob rule through democracy. You know, everybody gets one vote. Everybody gets to vote. He feared mob rule. There's also great opportunity for corruption in something like that. This is what we see all over the world where there's democracy. And Plato argued that the most just republic would be the one ruled by an elite, educated caste of philosopher kings. Up to that point, that's all there were. They were either dictators, demagogues, or kings and queens. That's, that's all there were on planet Earth at that time, running a country. Uh, in ancient Israel, uh, Moses came down and said, you know, God will be your king. God will be your leader. And the people are saying, well, we can't do that. We need judges. We need. We want a king. And they finally got a king who was who was Solomon, and uh, and and after that it was uphill, downhill, forever, with this up and down of good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings. So Plato said, "Listen, it'll work best if you get you know really smart, benevolent king who is very wealthy and is a great philosopher, and that'll be the best form of ruling." Well, theoretically, on paper, that might work. In fact, John Locke, the English philosopher, uh, felt that that would probably be a good plan as well, but he also knew you can't trust, even though you may have a good king now, that next one may be really bad. So John Locke thought of this idea of a representative type form of government, which no one had tried before, except what they were attempting to do in the United States of America. And uh, so the founders of this country looked at Locke's uh, 
philosophies. Locke was in England and they said, okay, this guy's onto something. We can use this and make something good and this will be the great experiment. Well, it's lasted quite a while, but it's declining quickly. Wouldn't you agree? America's founding fathers feared that the majority rule might turn into a mob. That's why they had to invent all kinds of institutions to try keep the majority in check. For example, U.S. Senate. It kept the majority in check by overrepresenting the small states. You know, we have two senators for each state. California, with 40 million people, has two senators. The same thing as Montana, which I don't even think has two million people. It keeps the majority in check. Now, it also wasn't directly... um, Until 1913, I should say, United States senators were elected by the state legislatures. They weren't elected by the people. And that was a brilliant idea. That was that was turned around in 1913. And that was also kind of the beginning of the end for the United States of America, because now you could have career politicians who were bought and sold by special interests in power for life in the Senate. And uh, that's what we have now. See, back in the day, if a state legislature was all Republican, they would select, you know, two Republican likely senators. And then when they flipped to Democrat, the Democrat legislature would probably elect two Democrats. It was better representation for the various states. But that changed in 1913. The founding fathers had a lot of reasons for wanting the government to have a non-majoritarian, to, to be a non-majoritarian non-majoritarian institution because they feared mob rule and they were right to be concerned because at the very time they were embarking on this experiment called American representative democracy, French revolutionaries were embarking on an even more radical experiment. The French revolutionary government at that same time had very few checks on majority power and They had mob rule, the reign of terror, in the name of defending the revolution, the reign of terror. They sent sent tens of thousands of people to the guillotine, sometimes on the mere suspicion that they didn't love democracy enough. You know, nothing says democracy more than killing people because they're not democratic enough. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So again, it's the mobocracy. You know, citizens of a functioning democracy need some rights. There's no question about that. You can't have free and fair elections if some citizens are systematically denied the ability to organize, assemble, share, and disseminate ideas. But look where we are right now. The dissemination of ideas is being trampled upon. And for the first time ever, people are saying, I think it's the first time ever in the United States of America, that people are saying, you know, free speech shouldn't be so free. And for the first time ever, the cries of democracy, pure democracy, are louder than we've ever seen. So the dangers of empowering the majority are are incredible. I mean... The majority has the potential to be lawyer, judge, jury, policeman, prosecutor, prison ward, all, warden, all rolled, all rolled into one. 
That's a lot of power to put in the hands of the majority. You know, we talked about this yesterday. This, this, by the way, is episode 176. So if you look for 175 of the Brian Sussman Show, it was uh, social justice, man's social justice versus God's social justice. But when it comes to history, it's very dangerous to look at history through a present lens. But that's probably why Karl Marx said, and I, I mentioned this yesterday, Karl Marx said history means nothing because he doesn't want you to look back on history because he doesn't want you to learn from history. And that's where the liberals today, the progressive liberals today are. They don't want you to learn from history. They want you to pretend like this is a fresh palette. But the problem is it's not a fresh palette and we need to teach history in our schools and we're not. We're not teaching history, even America, American history, U.S. government is not being taught properly in our schools today, if it's being taught at all. So how are you going to know about the founding of America, other than what they teach them now is they were a bunch of white racists? Well, that's reckless. Yes, some of them did own slaves. I'm not going to make excuses for that. But most of them did not. Most of them abhorred the practice. But they put together a form of government that they thought would be the very, very best. And when it works, American-style constitutional representative democracy is great. It's fantastic. But when we forget those underpinnings and we move towards democracy, we're in trouble. And, and we're in trouble in so many ways, shapes, and forms. That's why I really think it was proper to open up with that passage from Isaiah talking about what real social justice is. It, it comes from the heart of each individual. And when each individual is, is filled with doing good and doing justly and helping others, then a society can flourish. But we've moved so far away, and that's why I'm praying for a spiritual renewal in this country. But look what we are. We've had two generations now. I mentioned these stats a few days ago. 1957, 2% of all households were divorced. 2%. 2017, it was 51% in America. We don't keep those stats anymore, at least as far as I can see. So we've, we've gone over the threshold. We've had two generations now of broken families. Two generations of young boys not being affirmed in their manhood. Two generations of young girls not being, uh, not being confirmed, not being affirmed, not being encouraged regarding their true womanhood. So what we have now are two generations, two generations that have been raised in broken homes. And as a result of that, we're seeing the devil come in. We're seeing kids completely confused, completely lost, completely without hope. And I, I really and truly believe that we are going to see all of these lost people, all of these confused people, all of these people without hope, searching finally in the right place for God to reboot their lives. That's my hope, and that's my prayer. 
I appreciate you listening to this podcast. Thanks for sharing it with your friends. Brian Sussman Show podcast, available on all the platforms. And of course, my website, briansussman.com. Facebook page, Brian Sussman Show. And for daily doses of inspiration, it's Brian Sussman Show. That's my Instagram feed. God bless you, my friends. Until next time.